Tools for Living, Room to Grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 116. Have you ever felt like your life might be too messed up for God to use? That your worst mistake will forever be your identity? That your past will keep you chained and held back from the hope in the future that you know the Lord wants to give? Well, in today's episode of the Living Room Podcast, my guest shares a very raw and personal story of her worst mistake. But she also shares how the Lord has invited her to go on an uncharted journey with Him into freedom and forgiveness so that her worst mistake is no longer a ball and chain, but a tool that He can use to set other people free. I'm so excited for today's interview. Welcome to the Living Room, Ines. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we got through all those technical issues and here we are ready to uh, have a good conversation. Uh, Ines saved my life, you guys. I was I could not get sound, and so she walked me through. Thank you, thank you. I'm trying a new platform, and it's just learning all the bells and whistles. So I appreciate that. Well, I just want to affirm you having a podcast and all the technicals that go with it is a big deal. So <laughs> I am so grateful that you're you're putting yourself out there. Thank you. Oh well, I love it. You know, it's it kind of reminds me of your new book. <laughs> this new platform is uncharted for me. Yes. Tell us about it. I'm so excited. This is your first book. And so, yay, you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Actually, my book is um, published, ready to come out on March 21st, already on Amazon. It's called Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. Mm. And yes, this is my first book. It's a little bit of a memoir because it tells my story and a theological Bible study. So I love the Bible. I'm a Bible geek. If you could see the video right now, I'm surrounded by books in my office because I love them. But it's not super heady. You know, I just, I love to make things that may seem complicated, simple and digestible Mm -hmm. and practical. And so I do that in my book. And then I also include uh, spiritual practices in my book because it's part of the way that I have grown to increase my deep dependence on the Lord. And so I wanted to share that as well. So I'm so excited that it's coming out. It's my first book, and I'm telling you, it is a job to publish a book. So I am grateful for you, Joanna. You've published five books. Way to go and study, guys. Wow. <laughs> you know, it is. It's such an honor to work for the Lord like that, but it Amen. is work. And I think sometimes people sort of have this feeling that we just sit down one day and decide to write a book, but it's a little more complicated. That's right. That isn't it. It Uh, took me 18 years to get this book out, you guys. 18 years. Part of it, of course, was just my own fear about feeling, am I really, what do I have to say? Does anyone want to Mm. hear what I have to say? So I probably argued with the Lord for a very long time. But once, once he won, and God always wins... Uh, then it was an act of obedience that I just had to work on and learn learn to become mm-hmm. a writer and how to write well and how to publish. And that just took time. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you did because Thank it you. is a beautiful book. And it is a beautifully personal book of your journey, which honestly, I love, I love that the most. You know, mm-hmm. um, even though I was raised in a grace-filled home and a grace-filled church, 
my journey was kind of a struggler. I, spiritual mm. disciplines, spiritual practices didn't come easy to me. And so it's been a, a lifelong journey of drawing closer to the Lord. But you came from a really interesting background. I'm going to link to a beautiful little film on Ines's website that just tells your story. But I want you to just share it with us here. Yes, yes. So I'm a latecomer to the Christian faith. I became a believer when I was 40 years old. So the video kind of gives you a sense of the story. Um, and it's done really beautifully. There's a company called The Root Films who filmed it and kind of gives you the story of my journey with Jesus, which really I started when I was very young. I was raised in Puerto Rico, um, out in the country, poor, poor kid, poor family raised by a single mother with seven kids. And my grandmother, my abuelita, was the one who took charge of our spiritual formation, and she took us to church. And so I started going to church when I was around seven and heard about God, and I had a whole experience uh, that was really supernatural. I share about that in my book. But it was so frightening, honestly, the experience that I didn't tell anybody for, I mean, until I was 42. Mm -hmm. And I live with a wrong impression of who God was. And so for years, I did life my way and didn't realize that God had given me an incredible gift back then and told me some powerful truths, but because I didn't share it with anyone. And I had reasons why, for why I didn't share it, which I talk about in the book. I kind of went on with this story, but yet un, undiscovered. And so God was so gracious. He caught me in the worst time of my life when I had made the biggest mess I've I got married very, very young and had a son, Chad, who I adore greatly. I was only 21 years old when I had him. And then, but I got divorced a year later. And then I remarried mm -hmm. a few years after that, was married for 15 years and had two daughters, Kaylee and Melissa. And that marriage ended uh, after 15 years of marriage. Very difficult, difficult journey. And after the second divorce, I started to feel like, okay. I'm the common denominator now, so maybe I should re-examine my life because, you know, I could blame mm -hmm. people, but it's like, okay, this is happening to me. And so I went on the journey, but before the Lord really captured my heart, I made some an additional poor choice, and that was to enter into an affair with my boss. Mm -hmm. And uh, he pursued me, and I struggled fighting back. I was a single mom of three kids, and I knew him for many, many years, and it was really hard mm -hmm. to to fight that with a lack of character, really, that I had at the time. And so we got together, and it was awful, as you could imagine, mm -hmm. a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of chaos. And then he invited me to go to church one day. He, he wasn't going to church much himself, but he said, hey, we should probably go to church. And I said, that's a good idea. I had lost 25 pounds. Um, I, we lost our friends. We lost so much. And so we started mm -hmm. uh, going to different churches every Sunday. And it took us a while, but we landed at a church on October 20th, 2002. And when we walked in, the pastor taught about that woman that Jesus met at the well in John chapter 4, who had been married multiple times and was living with a man who was not her husband. Wow. And he offered her grace. Wow. And I thought okay, I can stay here. And that started my journey with Jesus. And so at 40 years old, I started my journey uh, all anew in the middle of a very messy family yeah. marriage situation, literally just like that woman at the well. My story's still not 
clean. Uh, I was still a mess, and yet Jesus met me just like he met her. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and then I've been on the journey. It's been 20 years now. In fact, this is our 20th anniversary year of our marriage. Wow. We did get married, and it's been quite the journey of, of walking with Jesus and experiencing His grace. And um, the movie kind of gives you a picture of that experience I had as a little kid, but doesn't really tell you much. You have to buy the book. You have to read that to yeah. know more because <laughs> it's sort of spread out throughout the book. So it's hard for me. It would take the whole podcast just to tell you that story. Well, I love it because and it kind of, again, comes back to this whole idea of uncharted because, and I don't know about you, but I don't really like that. No. I, I kind of want a <laughs> charted <right>. journey. Yes. <laughs> you know, God, just tell me Tell me what the itinerary is. You know, where are the layovers? We all do, Joanna. We all do. Yes. Yeah. And yet I found when I surrendered my agenda, that's when things got fun with the Lord. Because it really is this great adventure that is so much more rich than our carefully controlled, planned little lives. And I love that you opened the book with this whole idea of mystery, because I think it's really important. Can you talk about that? Yes. Well, I think it comes from my personal experience. When I first, when I started this journey, I had, I created a picture of God in my head because he felt so mysterious. I I was, you know, Mm -hmm. the nun, I went to a Roman Catholic church and the nun taught us about a catechism class and taught us about God. And he just sounded so mysterious to me. And I think I went around my life trying to make it not mysterious, trying to make it Uh. something I could wrap my head around and understand and control, if I'm going to be honest, and right, and manipulate and whatever, however else I do life. And, but God, it's not like that. The journey is, Mm -hmm. is heavenly. In other words, it's so beyond our human mindset that we really do it a disservice when we try to make mm-hmm. it uh, to the earthly level. You know, Paul says, set our minds on heavenly things, because then we are in a great mystery and something that's only... And in fact, in the book, I talk about the word for mystery. The Greek word uh, for mystery means something that has to be revealed by God. Mm-hmm. It has to be revealed to us. And so God reveals to us this great mystery, but over time, day by day, step by step, Yeah. And out of relationship, you know, which I think is so precious of the Lord, because, you know, if he just gave us our itinerary and punched our ticket, then we could just do our thing, but we would do it kind of alone. And so not always giving us all the details. And yet I've just been thinking so much about how gracious he is, this incredible God, that he would make himself known to us. Like, blows my mind. And you've yes. been, you have been doing a doctorate and just studying God and going rich and deep. Has that, um, has that kind of satisfied some of your need to understand God or has it just opened your heart? Yes, yes. Well, you're absolutely spot on. And, and I got a master in divinity, not a doctorate yet, maybe one day. <laughs> yes. But, um, but, I have to say that, yes, it did expand my expectation that God is so much greater than any of us could imagine. So I went to seminary to try to essentially understand God, understand the Bible, and and kind of fit him in a box somehow. Like, you know, I'll go to seminary, I'll, <laughs> I'll create a box, and he'll fit in it. 
And what I learned is he doesn't fit in any box, no box. And it's good. It's really, really good that he doesn't. It's good for me because if, if I can fit God in a certain box or I can make God be a certain way with my mindset then that means that God is too small for my big problems, mm. for my suffering, for for my shame. Sometimes when I experience shame or for my doubts, like he'll be too small. I, I know my own brain, yeah. it's so limited. And so I went to seminary and I came out knowing how little I know and rejoicing in it. Does that make sense? Like, Thank you, God. I can spend the rest of my life. There's not enough books I could buy or read that I will always have something to learn and discover about you. And it is a great adventure. Oh, it really, really is. And God's kind of been doing that for me over the journey of my last book is just opening, just giving me a glimpse of just how amazing he is. And I know it's like, you know, i we're, I'm not even the Hubble telescope, right? <laughs> it's like I only have this little itsy bitsy glimpse. And yet, you know, and then to think about eternity in us, yes. we're going to have eternity where God's going to show us all of these incredible mysteries. And we're going to think that must be it. Oh my word, that's incredible. And then he goes, and then tomorrow we're going to talk about, <laughs> he takes the veil off of more mystery. And so I have found great peace in letting go of my need to understand. Uh, How has that worked for you? Indeed. In fact, I start my book talking about our craving for control and our craving for certainty. Both both of them have to do with our desire to know that things will happen a certain way. Um, And so, and those things are are really anxiety producing because, Mm -hmm. hey, COVID taught us we have no control over so many things. I feel like the whole world went on a massive lesson of like, no, we don't have as much control as we wish. Mm -hmm. And when we do try to live that way, we're more anxious and disappointed and frustrated. But when Mm -hmm. we understand that we have good God, this is what's important. You You would not embrace a mystery or an unknown if it weren't that God is good. Uh, I would have a hard time trusting a God that is harsh and yes. obviously not good, uh, self-serving, you know, like the the man who hid his talents and said, here, God, here, master, I'll give you everything back because you're a harsh master. Yeah, that's how I view of God. He's, it's going to be terrifying to see him mm-hmm. as a great mystery. And But when we know he's good and he cannot help but do good things for us and that he's perfectly holy— He's the best of the best of the best of the best of the best, then it is great and peace-giving to know that we can trust whatever is going on in our lives to Him, because we're in really, really good hands. And you know, we know that in our own relationships, don't you think, Joanna? Like, We have friends or family members that we really trust. Like if they said to us, hey, get in the car, we're going on an adventure, well, we might poke them a little bit because we want to know the details, but we're going to be willing to go because we know they love us. And that's a human, yeah. you know, who's flawed. Mm-hmm. Imagine a perfect, perfect, good, good, loving God who wants nothing but good for us. Then yeah. it's so wonderful to let go of control. And then it's freeing and peace-giving and joyful. We can actually experience joy even in the suffering. Like when we're going through a hard time, we might say our attitude, instead of saying, why is this happening to me, God? Why, why, is, why are you allowing this? Instead, we can say, oh, God, what are we going to learn here? Like, how are you going to transform Amen. me here? 
Who am I going to meet through all of this? Mm. You know, what part of my heart or my mind or my soul is being restored right now as we work through this suffering? So it just changes our attitude 100%. I love that. Don't get me preaching, girl. I'll be gone. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> because it is, for me, you know what, I, it comes down to, that's the good news. Amen. I think sometimes we think that the good news is that Jesus comes, he heals, he delivers, and he gets me out of the situation. But for me, it's like, no, he comes, he heals, he delivers through and in the situation. And yes. I think I think want, understanding that our junk, our messes are no obstacle to God can be so freeing because that's a yes. little bit... I. You know, one of the things as I was watching that movie and you just talked about the load of shame that you had carried. And, you know, I really think that shame is epidemic. I, you yes. know, I think it probably always has been. It comes in different forms, but especially I just feel like it, it doesn't matter what your background is. You you might have never had any dark sorted past. You you might be Martha, the good girl. Right. <laughs> but we all have that shame and you, you define shame in that little video as uh, not fulfilling expectations you have of yourself. Yeah. Um, I, I would like you just to kind of talk to us about that when it comes to allowing God access to our journey, not feeling like I've got to somehow arrive at a certain point and then I can give God access, but how to give him access all the way along. I love that. So yes, so two things I'll say about that. One of them is shame is all about identity, mm. about who we are. So it speaks about our dignity and worth as a person, as a being. And so when we experience shame, we're attacking our own sense of who we are, mm. which is why I say is when we fail our own expectations, because you can fail other people's expectations, and that's harsh. That does create a certain level of shame. But nothing is more painful than when we even go beneath our own sense of self and our own expectations. Because we can push back on someone else, but it's really hard to push back on our own sense of who we think we're supposed to be. Whether we're buying that because of our own behavior or because how someone has kind of convinced us of who we're supposed to be to such a point that we are even we're even disappointed in that view of ourselves. So I think that in my book, I talk about how to be free from shame because I took a long, it was a long journey for me after I became a believer. It still took me seven years to recover mm -hmm. from shame. Somehow, because I didn't understand my identity as a child of God. I, I really, even though I could sing the song and say it, I don't think I really yeah. understood that my identity was bought and paid for by Jesus, mm. restored to the fullness of what God intended in the beginning, my identity, which is like, it's restored, period, done. That doesn't get to be redone. The enemy has no power over it. Mm. But it seems like shame wants to constantly go back to that and say, well, you didn't, or you did. You did this, you did mm. that. Therefore, God can't love you. You got to clean that up first. And so the way that I carried my own shame was because of my choices and the things that I did, I was convinced God loved me. I was grateful for that. I was convinced that Jesus saved me on the cross. I was very grateful for that. But then I believed that I couldn't be used by God, that, you know, He will love me. He'll set me up in the 
In fact, I used to have this idea of a, like a footstool. And I actually is, now I learned that that's actually a very elevated way to think of myself. But in my mind, I was thinking as a low, which is like, you know, God will just put his feet on me, which that would be an honor in itself. But I didn't know that. Right. It was, the point right. being is I saw myself so low that I, I just felt like I would only be good to tramp on, you know. And mm-hmm. it took me going to Israel and with my pastor and li- being in the very places where Jesus walked and where Peter and the, and the apostles all met him and walked with him. And then re-understanding the story of Peter, who followed mm-hmm. Jesus for three years, asked all the questions, did all the stuff, and still rejected Jesus as Jesus was walking to the cross. And Jesus came back for him. Yeah. And really pretty much challenged Peter, like, do you really love me? Do you do you love me? Do yeah. you believe me? And it's this powerful moment of deciding, do I believe who Jesus says that I am? Mm. Or am I believing my own story of who I am or what other people say of who I am? But do I really believe Jesus? And if I do, then I have to accept a different view of myself than I am taking. Wow. And so that was what gave me freedom. And they have you... The pastor had us take a rock from the edge of the Sea of Galilee. That's where we were. And think of what that represented. For me, it was shame. And for my husband as well. So we were looking for the biggest rock possible because, you know, we had a (laughs) massive amount of shame. Massive. We're like, where's that big boulder? And there were no big boulders. They're just little teeny pebbles. But we decided, okay, gave up on that search and just grabbed two little pebbles. And we threw it out to the Sea of Galilee, Mm -hmm. the way Peter had to leave behind his shame. And we made a decision that day. We will now see ourselves through the eyes of God. And even if people still struggle to... Let go of perhaps judgment towards us or any of that. God doesn't judge me. He's forgotten my sins. And Mm -hmm. I now get to live in that freedom. I get to live in the identity he gave me. So I think for us, the reason we get stuck in shame, and I I understand it, is because we forget it has to do with identity. And if we understand its identity, I don't know, it's almost an insult to God in a way, right? If we're not living out who he called us to be, we're making the cross less than. You know, when you look at the cross and you picture Jesus suffering, would we look at him in that bloodied state and say, sorry, that wasn't enough? Yeah. I wonder, though, if there's not some people out there listening who say, but Ines, my my trauma, my shame started so young. When you talk about identity, what do you even mean? Mm. You know, because I think, and I wonder, I, I think that's probably a valid question for all of us, rather, whether we had trauma or not. It's like, we, we hear you need to know your identity in Christ, or you need to know who you really are. And it's like, yeah. And so we put the labels on ourselves. I'm a child of God, all of that. But how do we get it to the core of our being mm-hmm. and let it transform us from the inside out? Well, I have to say for me, it was a process. So I think the first step is to recognize it's not going to be a thought or a word I say right here that's going to suddenly make your shame go away. Right. You know, part of my book is this whole idea of spiritual practices, because we do have to practice kind of rewiring our minds and the way we think. And in that chapter, I'm pretty sure, I'd have to look real quick, but I believe my spiritual practice is gratitude. When when I say, uh, what is our identity in Christ, 
Yes, in our heads, we already know the answer. We're a child of God. We are saved by grace, right? We are made in God's image. That's our identity. We have dignity and worth that nothing in this world can take away because it, we were given that by our Creator. That's in our brain. But in our hearts, in our soul, it means we have to operate out of that identity. So we, we, we can know that we have that identity, but we don't operate out of it. So, and I think a lot of that, that's why I chose gratitude, because every time I look at the cross and I see what Jesus did, I cannot help to understand how costly, how costly right. um, his work was to free me from my own sin. And when I do, then it makes no sense for me to live a life that is judging myself or making myself less than, all of a sudden gratitude feeds my understanding of my identity. I think confession, mm-hmm. I, it is in, the, in chapters, in the chapter before that I use confession, because again, confession does the same thing. When we believe we're a child of God and that we are loved by God unconditionally, that we our sins have been for, paid for, why wouldn't we acknowledge with God the very things He already knows? Yeah. That's practicing living in that identity. So my recommendation to someone listening is, okay, if you know that in your head, now that what's left is for you to practice living that out. So even mm-hmm. writing my book, Joanna, which took me so long, was a practice of me living in that identity. Yeah. When we made that movie and I was saying those things, that was a practice of my identity in Christ, my freedom in Christ, to be able to share with others my brokenness, understanding that the grace I've been given is enough, gives me a freedom to say, I can share that, and I know some people will probably judge me, but God doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so we have to practice our our freedom. It's not going to just sort of happen in a moment. Does that help? Yeah, most definitely. As you were talking, I was remembering the verse, you know, where it talks about when we willfully sin, it's like trampling the blood of Jesus underfoot. Yes. But in a sense, we do the same thing when we choose to re- to refuse yes. that new identity. And when yes. we say, yeah, but that, what you did on the cross isn't enough for me, or what you did on the cross isn't enough to help me change. And I wonder sometimes, especially with sin, I, for, for me at times, I believed I was my sin. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I could kind of get that third person and just look at the behavior, look at the mistakes, call it what God calls it, allow the blood of Jesus to come there and set me free. Then I could be free. But if I really believe that, and if our listeners believe they are their sin, like I am the sum total of my worst mistakes then, okay, maybe I have heaven one day, but can I really experience transformation here on earth? And I love how you've broken down the book into four different sections. And and I'd love, maybe if you wouldn't mind just touching on each one, and then especially, I'd love to kind of camp on that last section about thriving. I love yes. that word, thriving. Thank you. So I know with a book, it's very linear, section one, two, three, four. But in in my mind, I was hoping I could make it into a a rhythm. So keep in mind that these four cycle all over again. 
So the first one Mm. is this idea of knowing God's desires. God has good desires for us, and they are much greater than we could ever, ever imagine. Scripture is absolutely true. We, We cannot think like God does. We just don't know what God has in mind when it comes to our mm. future, and right. as, and it's always going to be blessing and good, even if it doesn't look like it to us at the moment. Mm-hmm. So the first section is like recognizing that God has desires for us, and that we are blinded by our desire for control and certainty. So at the very first yeah. thing that we have to understand is that God has good desires for us, but we're not going to see it if we're trying to control everything. So we got to put those things down so we can see his desires. We have to put down formulas that we create, maps that we create. We have to put down our our desire to control every circumstance. Then we go on that journey. We say, okay, God, we let go, right? We let go. We give it all to you. But then now God starts to reveal things to us and call us forward into some wonderful adventures. And we're hit with a really tough one, which is obstacles. We think, I remember this. Okay, I lived 40 years of my life, making a mess out of my life. Now I'm with Jesus. Now the rest of my life is going to work out a certain way. Right, God? Right, right? Wink, wink. Well, no, there are all (laughs) kinds of obstacles along the journey. And so we have to recognize that when we're with Jesus, there's going to be obstacles. We have an enemy that wants to take us out, right? Right. We sometimes could be our own worst enemies. We make mistakes. We do all kinds of things. And so that's the second section. And then the, the next is obedience. Because once we recognize, okay, there's going to be obstacles. God has good desires for us. When God calls us forward, will we obey Him even when it doesn't make any sense? So I spent right. a few chapters talking about like this beautiful practice of obedience. I, I don't know if you've read mm-hmm. Eugene Peterson's book, you know, along obedience in the same direction. It's so it's obedience sounds like a bad word nowadays, right? We worry about mm-hmm. being obedient, blindly obedient. And I get it. There's people in this world we shouldn't be obedient to, but God, he's a good God. And so I yeah. talk about like not comparing ourselves to other people, not trying to be like others, but really letting God uniquely work in our own lives. I talk about having a mindset that's heavenly and not earthly. Mm -hmm. Therefore, when we are obedient to God, He's going to call us to things that make no sense, to an upside-down kingdom mindset, right? And and, and obedience in the sense that God never calls us to just walk this journey alone. And one of the things I see a lot in the church is people not wanting to be in small groups or accountability places. We need to be with people who hold us accountable and encourage us along the way. And then the last section is thriving by thirsting for God. Now, this, again, is Mm -hmm. counterintuitive because we think, okay, if I give my life to Jesus and I love God and loves me, why should I thirst for God? Shouldn't God just quench my thirst and it's done? Remember the woman at the well? Jesus said, hey, if you ask me, I'd give you this water and you you would never thirst again. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. But we can easily quelch down the Holy Spirit. We can mm-hmm. silence His voice. Mm-hmm. So we have to thirst for Him. We have to wake up in the morning and say, hello, Holy Spirit. I'm open to what you have to say. Yes. You know, that's yes. thirsting for Him. So it's just living in a mindset of every day wanting to hear from God, seeking to hear from God, seeking to experience His presence, seeking to experience mm-hmm. His blessing. So a thirst that never ends that's daily, hourly, however many times we have to practice it, that to me is what leads to thriving. So Mm -hmm. in that season of thirsting, we have to accept that there's going to be ambiguity, that the journey isn't going to be um, always perfectly clear. And we know exactly what we're doing, you know, 10 steps ahead. Maybe all we have is one step. For some of our listeners today who are hearing about shame, 
Maybe today their first step is like, look at themselves in a mirror and say, Mm -hmm. Jesus, who am I to you? Where am I not really living out the identity that you have purchased for me on the cross? You know, that's a step, one step. You know, you don't have to think 30 steps down the line where the shame is gone, but just today, right? One step. Also, I talk about accepting that it is a journey that's going to be mysterious and that we shouldn't seek for that final certainty that doesn't come to us until we're before the Lord or he comes back, right? Until then, we live in this world of uncertainty and trying to make it certain it's not going to help us grow. The minute we think, oh, I've arrived, we have stopped growing. So that's kind of my, and then we take everything that we're doing, we take it out into others, into the lives of others, and we start all over Mm -hmm. again. God has good desires for us. We shouldn't try to control them. We're going to hit obstacles. We should be obedient through them and thirst for God and do that over and over and over again on the journey until our last breath. Oh, yes, yes. It's those rhythms of grace. I think Eugene Peterson in the message, one of the verses talks about, teach me the rhythms of grace. I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, as we close, would you pray for us, Ines? I just just know that there are some people out there that are definitely in uncharted territory, or there may be some people who feel like they're just spinning. They're just circling the same spot and they're not making forward progress with the Lord. Would you pray for us? Yes, yes. And I want to especially pray for anyone listening who is suffering because Mm -hmm. to hear the word uncharted or a journey that's uncharted in the midst of suffering can be frightening. So I just want to, I want to begin with these people in mind. Lord Jesus, we thank you, first of all, for your goodness towards us, your love for Mm -hmm. us, sacrificial love. You paid the highest price you did it all. You said it is mm. done, God. And it is yeah. something we can understand with our heads and so often not understand with our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us um, just realize what an incredible, magnificent gift that is. Mm. Lord, I lift up especially those who are listening who might be suffering in any area of their lives. Yes. For, Lord, the unknown in the midst of suffering how long suffering will be, or is it going to get worse, or is it going to happen again? Mm-hmm. These traumas yeah. that we experience in life, God, can make us want to control things more. And so I pray, Lord, that today you would really be felt deeply in our hearts. Your presence is enough. Your presence is healing, mm-hmm. God. Your presence is comforting. Your yes. presence, Father, educates our mind and our entire soul, our being, to be at peace with you. So I pray that you would comfort them and help them see that even in the midst of suffering, God, you are at work always, Mm -hmm. always, always for the good. And Lord, as we walk these uncharted journeys, every single listener today, every one of us having a unique experience with you, may we be an encouragement to one another, strengthen one another. And Father, that we would all together shine a bright light to a hurting world who so desperately needs to hear your good news and needs the healing that only you can bring. Thank you for using us for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, Ines' story is so powerful. Perhaps you're struggling underneath a boatload of regret like she did. Perhaps you know that God's forgiven you, but you struggle to forgive yourself. 
I really hope that you'll check out Enius's materials, her new book, as well as her podcast and sermons. You'll find links to all the good stuff over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 116. But I just want to encourage you, if her story or even the things that we talked about kind of stirred up some emotion, that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, my friend. And if you'll simply give Him access to those places, if you'll bring it out into the light and stop being afraid to be honest with Him, well, He wants to meet you right there in the middle of the mess. And He wants to heal you, and He wants to set you free, and He wants to build something so steadfast and immovable that you go on your very own uncharted journey and adventure with Him. Because you see, your worst mistake no longer has to hold you back. In fact, it can be the very thing that propels you into God's purpose and plan for your life. Living and loving and leading like Jesus and doing it all as you hold tight to Jesus' hand.